This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. There has been a greater focus on environmental governance in the last couple of decades, but maybe not enough action. The problems around government action have stalled some of the efforts towards change, but now is emerging another side to the governance component, and it is from the private side. Change from the companies themselves, in part due to the impact of the public or shareholders or other elements. Sarah Light is a professor of legal studies and business ethics here at Wharton. She is co-author of a new book about this titled Private Environmental Governance, Concepts and Insights, and she joins us right now. Sarah, always a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for a few moments. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here to talk about this with you. So this is part, I think, of a larger overall theme of where we are with our country at the moment. And environmental governance is obviously seeing a shift in this, is that there doesn't seem to be as much belief that the federal government, and even to a degree the state government level, uh, is able to enact change because of the division we have in this country. Is that what you're seeing around this side of the story? I think that that's right. If you think about the kind of golden age of environmental law and regulation, it's really between about 1970 and 1990 that Congress passed all of the major environmental statutes that we have come to know, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Toxic Substances Control Act, and and engaged in sort of significant lawmaking. Um, Since 1990, Congress has kind of stalled out a lot on passing new laws, although the EPA and the other environmental regulatory agencies like the Department of the Interior or the Fish and Wildlife Service have adopted updated new regulations under those laws. But you're absolutely right. I think um, what we have seen certainly in the last few years has been real partisan gridlock at the federal level. And so there is still desire among many constituencies to protect the environment. And so a lot of that desire and impetus has pushed away from the federal government towards state governments, toward local governments, but also really into the private sector. And so that's why we wanted to focus on this topic of private environmental governance in our book, because we feel like any discussion of environmental governance is incomplete unless you look at what's happening in the private sector. I would imagine there are probably examples where you're already have have seen this play out to a degree where, you know, companies are already making these moves because they understand that, you know, it's important to make them and they need to do it on their own rather than wait for them to be mandated to do it. Yes, that's absolutely right. And so private environmental governance as sort of as a concept, the idea is that private actors, whether it's business firms or non-governmental organizations or associations that include both of those types of entities, come together to set environmental performance standards um, and then to sort of certify that organizations are actually following those rules. So it might surprise you to know that about 20% of the world's fish is actually certified by private 
fisheries certification standards like the Marine Stewardship Council uh, certification for sustainable fisheries. Um, if you go to your office copy room and you look at uh, the copy paper, it might have a private certification label either from the Forest Stewardship Council or the Sustainable Forest Initiative, both of which are certifications that are private um, on uh, the maintenance of sustainable forests. And so those are some examples, um, these kind of private certification regimes where a company wants the certification because it's important to their consumers or it's important to their investors. Um, uh, they're somehow receiving some kind of external or internal pressure to be more environmentally conscious and, um, and as a result, they work with one of these private certification bodies, which is a non-governmental organization. In order to get the, yeah. the label, they need to do certain things. And those things are the environmental performance standards. So that's kind of how it works in the private sector. So is the expectation, because of where we are right now with kind of that, that, that dysfunction that we have going on, on on several levels of government, uh, that it's going to be the private side that's going to have to carry a lot of the weight around making change, at least for the foreseeable future. Well, so I, I personally am an all of the above kind of person. My view is yeah. all of these entities, be they public, private, federal, state, local, global organizations, all have a part to play. We can't rely on one to get the job done alone. And so... Right. It may be the case that private environmental governance kind of fills the gap until we're at a place where there's less gridlock at the federal level or is complementary or sort of provides a, a model that can then be adopted by the federal government um, or, you know, other, uh, other state governments. But I see them all kind of working hand in hand. This is really clearly an important piece of the puzzle that I think sometimes does not get enough attention. But it is interesting that that you are seeing more companies themselves aware of these issues and willing to, you know, to move the needle, it, it feels like, than ever before, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that this is absolutely true. And I think sometimes it's criticized as this is all ideology, right, when a company says we're going to become net zero in our carbon emissions by 2050. This is, this is really... Being driven by the firm's bottom lines, um, yeah. and there's a lot of research that's coming out of Wharton faculty through the ESG initiative and the Wharton Climate Center that demonstrates that this is you know business firms are making these decisions because they are financially material to the firm. Um, but absolutely, I mean there are literally hundreds of companies in the United States and abroad that have made commitments to become net zero by 2050 in their carbon emissions that are committing to purchase renewable energy. Um, and, uh, you know, there are business reasons to do so. So this is this is definitely um, an area of, of growth. That doesn't mean, well, very important to say, that there aren't backward steps. You know, yeah. when it's not embodied in law, a company could decide next year, actually, we made that commitment, but it's not financially beneficial for us now, so we're going to change our mind. So it's not necessarily as durable as law, but I think it's an important part of the puzzle. But it, it does then again kind of you know shed light on the importance of having the government component moving forward because it, you gave the example of the Clean Water Act. I mean, that yeah. was done because of the need 
uh, to better the, the scenario, the, the, the levels, uh, the, the, the drinkability and, and usability of water for the public mm-hmm. as a whole. It was doing a public good, and it feels like at times where even the idea and the concept of doing something for the public good is getting kind of thrown under the bus a little bit and, and as you said, kind of used as a, as a political tool. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, business firms are creatures of law and they have their duties to shareholders and other stakeholders. Um, They can't ignore those constituencies. Um, it, It is ultimately the responsible of governments to act in the public interest. And so when we think about something like the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act, that is the goal of those statutes, right? It's to protect yeah. our air, to protect our water. Um, but I think that the what the private firms are doing is creative. I think that it's helping around the edges. I think that it is recognizing, you know, as you pointed out, the gridlock in Congress. We don't need to wait to act in the public interest. And that in and of itself yeah. can be beneficial to the firms. Where do you think then the greatest challenges lie right now? to seeing an even greater adoption uh, of governance, especially uh, uh, focusing on the private side, because you said there is a bottom line component here that that could influence the decision making of some companies. Absolutely. So this is one place where I think um, the Inflation Reduction Act provides a really excellent example. So if you look at kind of traditional environmental law, like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, saying you can't emit X from your smokestack, Um, that's not what the Inflation Reduction Act does. What the Inflation Reduction Act does is it provides tax credits and subsidies for environmentally beneficial investments by firms, Um, you know, uh, citing new renewable energy uh, production capacity, um, uh, investing in carbon capture and storage. What that statute does is it aligns the business incentives with the incentives to protect the environment. And so I think that's what's really brilliant about that law. And it creates incentives for the private sector to kind of step up and do more. Um, And it aligns the bottom line with the public interest. So I think that's a place where seeing cooperation between the two is really going to be very meaningful. You mentioned a little bit ago that you were kind of an all-in person in terms of, you know, all of the different components trying to help this process out. How optimistic are you at this juncture that we are going to see continued movement forward to to bring forward some of these new ideas? It's a great question. I hesitate always to predict the future, but because we live in a world of um, checks and balances and multiple levels of government, and we live in a world in which the EU is pressing ahead and the EU's regulations have an impact on global players like all of our multinational corporations, and we have the state of California taking the lead on things like climate-related risk disclosures, I'm optimistic that and all of the above approach is going to move the needle forward. It might not move it as quickly as if we had Congress pointing in this direction, but it's going to continue to move the needle forward. Sarah, always great to talk with you. Thanks very much for your time today. Thank you so much, Dan. Bye-bye. You got it. You got it. Sarah Light, Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.